So to begin, I want to share with you from the book of Romans, and you can find your way there in your Bible or, or tap on your phone. Did you bring your Bible with you to church today? If you brought your Bible, just wave it at me. I want to see that you brought your Bible with you. Let's just see how many brought your Bible. Oh God, I got to pray for this church right now. Let's just see Bibles, Bibles, are there other Bibles here? Some of you are waving your phone at me. Is that your Bible? I'm really going to pray for you. Um, no, that's okay. I've, actually, I read my Bible on my phone 90% of the time, and I want to encourage you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, to actually download the Bible app. You can do it by going to Bible.com and just download that app on your phone. The reason I want you to do that is because you got to know where this stuff is at for yourself. It's one thing to come to church, and we'll put the words on the screen, and we can all follow along together. But when something happens on Monday, you might not know where to go. And that's why you want to have the Bible app on your phone or have a Bible with you. You can underline these verses. You can write it down. You can bookmark it. That way later in the week you can read it for yourself and God can still speak to you through it. So I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read 11 verses and I'm going to start in verse 1. If you haven't found it yet, we'll put the words on the screen so we can all follow along together. But in Romans chapter 6, starting verse 1. Paul's writing, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Let me stop there just a minute. So we're kind of jumping into the middle of Paul's magnum opus, this theological masterpiece, this letter he wrote to the church in Rome. And right before this in Romans chapter 5, comes before Romans chapter 6, you learn this in seminary, it's really deep stuff. But in Romans chapter 5, He's, he's writing and he says, God's grace is so great that there's no place you can go that God's grace can't reach you. God's, God's grace is so surpassing that there's nothing you can do that God's grace won't meet you there. That there there's no sin too big that God's grace can't cover. The grace of God is so amazing. There's no amount of sinning no amount of backsliding, no amount of whatever wrong, evil in your life that God's grace will not overcome it. And so as he shares all this, he inevitably gets this question that he's had to answer numerous times where people say, well, if God's grace is so great and the more I sin, the more God's grace is available, should I just keep sinning so that God's grace will keep coming? And he says, by no means. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, 
This is what I want you to get. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that's a lot of reading, and you might have gotten lost in some of it. I want to sum it up for you with this one line. I want to speak to you from this subject. It's your funeral. It's your funeral. I need you to help me preach this. Those of you watching online in the chat, go ahead and just drop that in the chat. Tell somebody it's your funeral. If you're sitting next to somebody, I want you to look them in the eyes and just tell them it's your funeral. It's your fu- I-, I can tell marriages are being healed right now. Just the, the arguments from last night, you are getting in that final word. Because that's what we do, right? I mean, when somebody makes a decision or makes a choice that we think is unwise or, or, or maybe they're acting in a way that we think they haven't thought through completely, we'll, we'll tell them this, it's your funeral. Sure, whatever you want. You really want to do that? It's your funeral. And I suppose it's appropriate that we would use this for baptism <laughs> because I think in the same way we say that when people have not thought through everything completely, I think there's a, a number of us that have not thought through everything that baptism means. I, I'm not saying like we haven't, you know, read the warning label or thought through all the risks or, you know, we're about to jump off the ledge. I'm not saying baptism is that kind of decision. I, I'm just saying I think there's a lot of us, when we think of baptism, we haven't thought through it deeply enough to understand what it means to you and I. For a lot of us, we maybe think of baptism as just a tradition. You know, just kind of this religious moment that we go through and it's maybe an ordinance or we, we don't really think through how powerful it is for you and I. And if we're not careful, what we'll think about baptism is just, well, I've been there, I've done that, and now I'm ready to, to move on. And I know it seems like maybe this message has kind of taken a turn because we started this series called Let the Party Begin, and now I'm talking, telling you that it's your funeral. But in some ways, <laughs> I mean, we don't normally think of a funeral as a party. Although I did do one funeral recently, it was absolutely a party. I mean, people were wearing Hawaiian shirts, there was a taco truck, a food truck there, there was music blasting. It was a full-on party, it was amazing. It was awesome. But most of the time, we don't think of a funeral as a party. Most of the time, we think of a funeral as this somber morning event. And I get that. Maybe even some of you have been impacted by a funeral recently. I don't want to make light of that, but I was just thinking through the different reasons that we throw a party and why we throw a party and why a funeral even kind of fits in with that. Because, you, you know, there's lots of different kinds of parties. I mean, you might have a graduation party. You might have a, a wedding or a reception. You throw a big party. There, there's, you know, retirement parties. There's, there's housewarming parties. There's sweet 16 birthday parties. There's all these different kind of parties that, that we throw. And I was thinking through the different common denominators in them. You know, whenever we throw these parties, most, most parties, it's because we want to recognize and commemorate a moment. What we're saying, hey, there is something that's happened. I want other people to know about it. And this moment right now marks a shift in my life. 
Well, in so many ways, a funeral meets all of that criteria. And so maybe we don't think of a funeral as a party, but it's interesting to me because when we read through Romans chapter 6, Paul's talking about baptism. And at our church, we've always thrown a party. Whenever we baptize people, we want to recognize the step that people have taken. We want to celebrate and commemorate what this moment means. But I couldn't help when I was reading through Romans chapter 6, what we call a party, Paul calls a funeral. And I want to explain to you why. I want to help you understand this because if we misunderstand the meaning, we'll miss the magnitude of the moment. And there's some benefits in baptism that really you should be living off of your entire Christian life. I think sometimes we've approached baptism as this thing that I've been there, I've done that, I've got the memory, I have the t-shirt, they took a picture, that was a moment, but I've moved on. And if you're a Christian, there are some benefits of baptism that you should still be drawing from today. And so I really want to speak to three groups of people. I want to speak to those of you who've been baptized and maybe have never really understood what it means and why you should still be remembered. I want to speak to those of you who are getting baptized today and help you understand the power of this moment. And I want to speak to those of you, maybe, maybe you've never been biblically baptized. And when I say biblically baptized, I just mean the kind of baptism that we see in the Bible, that we see in the New Testament. Maybe today would be your day, and I want you to understand why it matters. Because there's three benefits to baptism. And the first one I want to tell you about is that baptism is a decisive end to your past. Baptism is a decisive end to your past. In other words, it's your funeral. Scripture says that when you're baptized, you're buried in baptism with Christ. And when you go into the water, it's your funeral. You know, I was thinking about funerals and all the different things that are involved in it. And I thought how the worst thing you could do when somebody dies would be to not bury the body. I know that's a little morbid to think about, so I'm not asking you to dwell on this. But just for a moment, imagine, imagine if somebody dies and you never buried the body. How awkward, how strange, how awful that would be. But in the same way, there's many of you who've accepted Christ. You're saved. You've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've never buried the old you. This is why you need to be baptized. It's a decisive end to your past. It signifies a separation from the old you to the new you. I was thinking about different examples of this in Scripture and how one of the things we, we talk about to signify the life that God has for us is how he rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. He freed them from their bondage. He rescued them from their slavery. He, he freed them from their shackles, broke the chains. That's what happens when you accept Christ. And it's amazing how when he brought them out of Egypt, he rescued them, he delivered them, he worked miracles to make it happen. But you know what he did that signified the separation is he led them through the waters of the Red Sea. 
by leading them through the waters of the Red Sea, he ensured that they would never go back to their former life. Not, not only did the Red Sea create a dividing line, a separation point, but it also buried the things that were oppressing them. It buried their chain. It buried what was oppressing them, what kept them bound. Well, in the same way, that's what happens when you go under the waters of baptism. It, it's a dividing line. It's a separation point. It, it's a mile marker that the old life is gone, you're not going back there, and a new life has begun. When, when you get baptized, you're saying, I'm not going back to that place. I've been separated from my sin. You're, you're marking that moment with a decisive end. And if I could be transparent with you, I think this is why some of us, we get stuck in the same cycles, in the same patterns, in the same ways of thinking, shackled to the same sins, because we've never marked a decisive end. We, we, we've never buried the old us. We've never had a funeral to say that person is dead because what happens is baptism marks an occasion for the rest of your life. It, it's a place that you can point to to say that's where it happened. That's where the old me died and was buried. Because in the Christian life, what happens is the enemy, you have a spiritual enemy, the devil, who will try to remind you of your past, who will try to remind you of your failures, who will try to remind you of where you've missed it. And what I want to tell you is when the devil comes to remind you of your past, all you have to do is remind him of your funeral. The old person is, is dead. The old me is no longer. Sin no longer has any power over me because baptism is a decisive end. But it's also an opportunity for your breakthrough. Baptism is an opportunity for your breakthrough. See, I don't just want you to know that baptism marks a pivotal moment. It marks a shift. I want you to know that baptism is not just pivotal, it's also powerful. There is power that's available to you when you're baptized. Paul, who wrote Romans, he wrote about this in another book called Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 12, he says, when you were baptized, and I just want to point that out, he's writing to a church. His assumption is, is that everybody was baptized. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as a Christian that was not baptized. It would have been inconceivable. So he's writing to the church. He says, hey, when you were baptized, or hey, some of you who are going to get baptized, but you had, no, he says, if you accepted Christ, when you were baptized, it was the same as being buried with Christ. Then you were raised to life, is what I want you to notice, because you had faith in the power of God who raised Christ from death. See, there's power that's available to you when you get baptized. The same power that's available to you is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So when you approach baptism, I don't just want you to approach it as a tradition. I don't just want you to approach it as a religious ceremony. I don't want you to approach it as some kind of practice that you go through the motions, that it's something that you're supposed to do. I want you to recognize that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you when you take this step of baptism. 
The same power that brings dead things to life. The same power that can heal whatever's broken in your life. The, the same power that can break whatever chains are on you. The same power that can set you free from bondage. That's what happens in water baptism. It's one of the reasons it's important for you. We see an example of this when Jesus was baptized. Jesus, when, when he was baptized, he came out of the water, Scripture says. And in different places in the gospel, it says it a little bit differently. But it says the heavens were opened. One translation says that the heavens were torn open. And he was, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And that's my prayer for every person here that's getting baptized today. And that you would know about if you've already taken the step of biblical baptism. That it's not just something that you do to go through the motions or tradition or just a profession. But that there's power that's available to you. I'm praying for an open heaven over your life. That where there's been challenges and obstacles and hindrances and things that have kept you from moving forward. That there would be grace that's available to you that's poured out in your life. That, that you would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. That you'd be able to fulfill the call and the mission that God has for you. That's why Jesus got baptized. He knew he was about to enter into an incredible mission. But the, the, the call of his life to step into what God had for him. And before he could do that, he said, I need to get baptized because I know there is some things that only come through baptism. I need to consecrate myself before I get into this. Can I tell you that some of the problems in your life, they're not natural, they're spiritual. Now, I understand this. I'm not one of those guys that thinks that every problem in your life is some kind of spiritual attack. I don't think that, that every problem in your life is because of the devil. Some of the problems in your life are because you've made some poor choices. Some of the problems in our lives are because we've made some wrong decisions. And when we do that, we reap the fruit of our poor decisions. But in the same token... Some of the problems in your life are spiritual. And you've been wondering, why can't I break this cycle? Why can't I get past this hurdle? Why can't I ever seem to deal with the issue? It's because you cannot deal with a spiritual problem in a natural way. That there's power that's available to you when you get baptized. And so baptism, it's a decisive end to your past. It's an opportunity for breakthrough in your present, but I also want you to know that baptism is a promise of your future. It's a promise of your future. See, baptism doesn't just signify the end of your old life. It solidifies your new one. Let me read to you verse 8 of Romans 6 again. I want to point this out to you. He says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. See, it's not just assurance that the old life is gone. It's a promise that the new one has begun. And here's why this matters. Because following Jesus is not a promise of a problem-free life. It's not. I think sometimes we can do people a disservice when the only thing they ever hear about are the blessings of God. Now, I do want you to understand, God is a good God, absolutely. And he wants to bless you, he has blessed you, and he will bless you. Those things are true. But following Jesus is not a promise of a problem-free life. In fact, you want to know one of the promises of following Jesus? This is what Jesus said. 
in the world, you will have trouble. How many want to claim that over your life today? Just, I receive that, Lord. In, in the world, you'll have trouble. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So one thing you got to know is that salvation is a free gift. But sometimes following Jesus will cost you. I don't know if we talk about this enough. Sometimes following Jesus will cost you certain friends. Sometimes following Jesus will cost you your comfort. Sometimes following Jesus will cost you your preferences. That, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's dying to yourself and your way and what you want. It's your funeral. Sometimes following Jesus, salvation is free, but following Jesus has a cost. And so the reason I want to tell you that baptism is a promise of your future, because I see sometimes that people that they follow Jesus, they trust Jesus, they might even get baptized, and then they find themselves in this situation where life is hard, or things are difficult, or they're experiencing something they think they shouldn't have to experience. And they're confused, and they're asking themselves the question, why? Why am I going through this? I, I thought following Jesus would mean I wouldn't have to go through this. I made the decision to get baptized. I, I, I thought that life would be different. When you experience that, let me just read to you again, Romans 6, verse 8. He says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This is why baptism matters. It's a promise of your future. It's a reminder that nothing dies without a resurrection. Sometimes some of that stuff you go through, it's, it's still your flesh being crucified. It's, it's the part of your life where, where things need to be put to death. There's some things that might be difficult along the way, but if you died with Christ, you will also live with him. And I think that's why sometimes people don't get baptized. Sometimes people don't get baptized because they think, I don't want to mess it up. I want it to be real. I want it to be legit. And I know me. Like, I'm inconsistent. I'm scared that if I make this decision... And then what happens if I mess it up? What happens if I, 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 I go off track? I, I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to bring shame or, or ridicule. I don't want to make a fool of myself. Can I tell you that's why you need to be baptized? It reassures you that your future is secure. Just like death is final so is your life in Christ. Scripture says you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what would be holding you back? Even Jesus was baptized. You're not Jesus. You're not even close to Jesus. But Jesus was baptized. In fact, I want to read to you what happened when Jesus was baptized because I think this is going to encourage you. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, it's biblical baptism, buried with Christ under the water, 
coming up out of the water like a resurrection. He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. How many of you would like to hear that kind of affirmation from God? You're my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Well, you might be interested to know that God said this to Jesus before he opened any blind eyes, before he multiplied any loaves and fishes, before he healed any broken bodies, before he worked any miracles. Think about this. If Jesus who had infinite power, infinite potential, Jesus, who had the greatest and most important mission in the history of the world, Jesus, who did so much in his lifetime that John would later write that if everything was written, the books would not be able to contain it. If Jesus, who had more to lose and higher stakes than any of us could imagine, if he received his father's acceptance before he ever did a single thing, what makes you think that you have to get it right before you obtain it too? Can I tell you, when you get baptized, God is pleased with you. It is a divine announcement and pronouncement over your life. It is a seal that God is pleased with you. In fact, for anyone getting baptized today, God is celebrating this moment right now. Maybe that's why they also call funerals a celebration of life. Because it's not just what has died, it's the new life that's begun. That's what we're celebrating. When you get baptized, it's a picture of death 